steps away from you, you know? Changing your phone number and your email becomes normal. Taking out a restraining order, normal. Relocating to another city, normal. But you still see your stalker everywhere? Rationally, I know this is my imagination, but I'm alone in a strange city and I never feel safe. There's some more forms you need to fill out. It's just routine. I finished my homework. Sorry, Valentini, please follow me. Well, look, I, I don't have a lot of time. I, I should be back at work, so. What am I doing in here? Take off your clothes down to your underwear. I'm not sure what's happening here. The door's locked. It would be better for everyone, especially yourself, if you just do as I ask. There's been some kind of mistake. By signing this, you've consented to voluntary commitment. I am being held here against my will. Do you know how many calls the cops get like that every week? Those are from crazy people. Maybe it's all in my head. Hello! <laughs> Welcome to Movie Humpers. My name is Bob Sham. I'm Angela. We're so happy. <laughs> the sounds of your maybe dogs. Look, folks, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you something. We recorded a whole audio of an episode. Yeah. And then I realized I didn't record... On the video, we were having a good debate, a good conversation. Yeah. And then I realized after 35 fucking minutes that I had not recorded the video of the conversation. What if you like Brutal. made little animated people of us and just like avatars with like moving lips? Really good conversation. We were like done and ready to rate it. Yeah, I know, but. Um, you know, I don't think we'll we need to go as long as we did on the episode that no one will hear or see. But uh, I'm sorry to you. I just apologize directly. No one else knows because, as far as anyone else knows, this is the only time we're going to talk about this. But right. But I fucked up. But this month our theme is women in crisis. Yeah. Movies in which women are in some shit. Let me tell you. And um, we're talking about a. Fellow, you know, you know this guy, very prolific director, been around a bit. He's come out with films. I think my, I love the movie uh, Out of Sight with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. He made that movie. I think my favorite is Sex Lies and Videotape. Yes, one one of his earliest. Magic Mike. Magic Mike. Uh, he did the Oceans movies. He did Traffic. Aaron Brockovich. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a great monologue about Aaron Brockovich. It in the was other not corner. great. And the, and the other, well, that was fantastic. 
But I can't. We can't recreate magic. It's got to come natural. No, but I will say I think that you should see Aaron Brockovich at some point. It is actually a really good movie. It's actually studied in like screenplay classes and stuff. The one you went to in college, anyway. I wasn't. I didn't take that class, but I know that they studied it. Okay, I didn't know you actually weren't there in the class. You. No. The I whole, knew the teacher. The previous recording that the audience will never hear or see. I never. You kind of went on. I never about this. Mm-mm. I never said I took that class. Okay. Well, and yeah, I guess you technically did not. Nope. But God, it's but there was a lot of implication there, I felt. Anyway, Aaron Brogovich. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I haven't okay. seen that movie. It stars Julia Roberts and her boobs. Yeah. Them titties. Based on a true story. Yeah. But old Steven Soderbergh, he made a movie in secret. He he's a guy that retired a few years ago and then proceeded to and then proceeded to make like five things after he retired, right? Yeah. And he shot this one on iPhone. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, called Unsane from 2018. And it is written by Jonathan Bernstein and James Greer, starring Claire Foy, British actress who played Queen Elizabeth in The Crown. Uh, not not the kind of thing we give a fuck about. No. But I thought she did a great job in this movie. She was good in this. Also starring Joshua Leonard, Jay Farrow, Juno Temple, and a brief appearance by Matt Damon as a Security consultation guy. I kind of like Matt Damon. I just kind of do. I do too. I don't always like the movies he's in. Mm-mm. But I don't mind him. I just don't. Yeah. Um, Often in those movies that we don't like that he's in, he's the best part of them. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't. We don't complain about him that much. No. Sometimes when he's not in movies and he's kind of trying to be poignant about shit, talking about stuff, that's when he's the most like. All right, Matt Damon, relax. I don't pay attention to that part. But you know how celebrities can be sometimes. Yeah. But, yes, the movie Unsane. It starts a lady who works in an office. She's a, she's a go-getter. She gets out there. She's a hard-working, all-American woman. She's like yes. a Mary Tyler Moore. Well, with a lot of walls. Walls. We When we meet her, it's very quickly established in the opening scene. She's on the phone with a customer. Uh, maybe she works in insurance. She's talking about, she's she's handling this woman. And she's basically saying, you know, uh, you talking to me like that is not going to make me change my assessment. Yeah. And she eventually gets off the phone and her cubicle mate says, well, I hope he likes uh, vinegar better than honey. And she's like, it was a woman. Boom. The doctor was a woman. I can't operate on this child. Why? Because the doctor's a woman, you sexist fuck. I don't actually know that whole joke. I mean, like, not really, but anyway. Let me try to come up with... It's not a joke, it's a riddle. Oh, right, Check to see if you're a sexist fucking pig. Uh, A patient comes in to have their kid checked on. Mm -hmm. The doctor says, I can't operate on this child, it's my son. Why? Because the doctor is the woman. A father brings in a child to get checked on. The kid needs surgery. Doctor says, I can't operate on this child. It's my son. Because the doctor was a woman. Mm-hmm. Well, the way you just told it, it's extremely obvious. Yeah, but, you know, in the 80s, we were dumb. But also now there's Maybe a new... Maybe it's like a parent brings their child into the ER and the doctor says, I can't operate on this boy. He's because my son. I'm one half of a two gay dads. <clears throat> hey, could be. 
The doctor was his gay dad. Yeah, so there's two answers, and if you don't get those, you're either sexist or homophobic. And even if the mother brought him in, it still could have been his gay mother. You fucking pig. Yeah, gay mother. I can't operate. you. I can't operate. <laughs> I haven't said that in a On time. my gay son, because I'm his gay parent. Just because you're gay doesn't mean your kid's gay. Yeah, it's not. You said my gay son. My gay son. Oh, he is gay. I hear like large families that tend to have a large lot of. Large families? Did I say large? <laughs> yes. <laughs> large did. families that tend to have a lot of sons, <laughs> like the odds of the sons becoming gay. Being gay or having gay gay kids or whatever. Yeah. So all these Mormons, these closet Mormons walking around. I mean, the more kids you have, the more percentage is likely that one of them will be gay. I guess more percentage that they'll be anything, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway. So many gay Mormons out there. So then you see her get called into the boss's office and he's very obviously trying to fuck her. And she really handles it very well. Like he basically is like... You're doing a great job, and you should come arms to... Arms length. Arms length away with him. Oh, yeah. She's like, you should come... He's like, you should come to this conference with me. And she's like, I think I need more experience before I'm ready. And he says something about... I'll give you experience. Yeah, and she's like, I'm going to go back to my desk. And yeah. he's like, oh, okay. This is great because it's establishing, like, the bullshit she has to deal with. But we know because of, you know, the basic theme of the movie that we understand... That there's going to be a question of her sanity going forward. Obviously, it's called unsane. And so you then see her having lunch outside alone, uh, talking to her mom and lying, basically saying, oh, yeah, I have so many friends. I'm so happy. My boss is great. My job is great. I go out after work every night with my coworker, Jill, or who, whatever that girl's name was. And then... She goes on a date. A Tinder date. And she's at the bar, and they're hitting it off, and she's like, look, this is going to go how you want it to. But I just want you to throw that D in it, and then I want you to fuck off. She, like, calls him the wrong name at one point. Mm. It's very funny. Like, and, she doesn't give a shit about him. And so we cut to them ma- going into the apartment and making out. And then she freaks the fuck out and starts screeching and running away. And the guy rightfully just leaves the apartment. But I'm wondering now, like, was there something we missed in that scene? Um, Did she think she saw something? Was she reacting some kind of trauma response to him in particular. We know it wasn't anything about him personally. Right. I, at that point, I thought perhaps she had been sexually assaulted in the past because of the way that she... This is not a real cigarette. I was going to say, what are you doing? You're not listening to me. You're just like posing with your fake cigarette. It kind of is comforting. Go ahead. I assumed at that point that she had potentially been sexually assaulted and that this was her attempt to have meaningless sex to sort of like get back out there. Right? Like at first I thought she does this all the time. She just fucks and doesn't want to talk to anybody later because she tells him you never contact me again. Maybe. I don't know that she doesn't. She might, but I don't know because then when she reacted that way, I thought, is this always what happens? Yeah. Or ha- is this the first time she's tried this, right? Because she seems so in control of herself. And and like I said, she has these walls up that are so very specific. But then whatever it was that happened, it just like flipped. And she lost it. So she goes and talks to someone at this facility, a uh, psychiatric facility. She wants to talk to a therapist, yeah. And this therapist is asking her a lot of questions. Has she ever been suicidal? And she kind of references that in the mm-hmm. past. She's had some issues and she, uh, they ask how she asks how she would do it and she gives like an answer like, 
Well, she's like, yeah, have you ever thought about killing yourself and, and, and how? Yeah, and she describes like a cocktail of meds or something like that. Yeah, but she says, that was a long time ago. I just need to talk to someone. And she keeps saying like, can I make another appointment with you? You're a really great listener. I would like to come back and talk with you more. She found this place just like in the newspaper. It is weird though that she goes to like a mental hospital to meet with someone as opposed to going to like a therapist in an a therapist office. You know, as someone who's, I, I, I don't really understand that either. But of course there would be social workers and therapists that would be involved in the facility. I've known family that have kind of gone in and out of these kind of places. And I don't know, maybe like in the building where this occurs, there might be offices that you can go to for therapy. Potentially. Yeah. You know, maybe it's just a scenario like that, but she has her, the therapist has her sign a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and then they start walking her through and they bring her into a room and they're being very, they're, they're, they're not being confrontational, but they're being very curt to where like, okay, you need they're to. They're not explaining anything. No. They look through her bag and she's like, why are you doing that? They're making sure there's nothing dangerous. They have um, her stripped down to her underwear. It's to protect you, the other patients and the hospital. But I'm not sure what's happening here. I, uh... The nursing assessment includes a head to toe skin examination. It's a hospital-wide policy. There's nothing invasive about it. Look, I have to go. I'm going to be late for work, so. The door's locked. For your privacy. I need you to take off your clothes down to your underwear and remove all your jewelry. And she's, like, really confused, but she's like, okay. She thinks it's just, I think she's just compartmentalizing, like, okay, we'll just get through this and then... I'll just leave, I guess. Well, and the nurse is kind of threatening her. At one point, she's like, if you know it's good for you, you'll listen to me. Like, you'll just do it and not argue. So they put her in a, you know, her scrubs or whatever the fuck and walk her into this room of men and women who are all these beds. And she's weird that it's co-ed. And she starts like freaking the fuck out. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. I don't know what's going on here. I would like to make a phone call. And she calls 911. She should have called her mom. Right. And so they're like, you know, they make calls here like all the time. They're just going to come and see that you signed your papers. You signed a paper that says you are voluntarily admitting yourself for, for 24, 24 hours, hours of observation. At that point, she's freaking out. And, and you do get this idea that she's not completely well. We still don't know why. Exactly. But you do get this idea that she's not completely well. Like She is acting out in this way. Like, she's mean to everyone and she gets violent. She she pops an orderly, like, in the face, Before which is that, funny. Before that, she pops another patient. Because they approached her and she was creeped out by him. Men with beards. And so right. you notice, so this, this, this guy that's in there with her comes to introduce himself and she punches him. I think he tries to touch her and she punches him. And well, then she, the orderly she opens the, the door. Oh, is that what it was? The orderly opens the door and she punches the orderly like immediately. And so they sedate her. And she actually says the next day when she's talking to the doctor, she's like, listen, I thought he was someone else that I knew. Yeah. And that's the first inkling that you get that, that her trauma is related to a Something person. very specific. Yeah. But also it's like, but who did you think he was? And still, why are you acting this way? And you can tell she's trying to do that like... I'm going to say what you want me to say. It's very obvious that, you know, she has to do these small manipulations to kind of either 
micro control people in her lives to either get what she needs out of it or to prevent them from getting something from her. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's interesting to watch. And Claire Foy is actually very good Mm -hmm. at switching in and out of that. She, she's a good actor. She is a good actor. But, uh, but because she acted out, they can legally hold her for up to seven days from that point on. So it's revealed to her that she's there. For a week. And so at this point, the other people that she's met in the ward are Violet, who's yeah. in the bed next to her, who calls her Allison or something. Violet's actually, something's off with Violet. Something's off with Violet. Violet, Violet is reveals, acting out. Violet reveals she's got like a shiv under her shirt, but yeah. she never uses it. No. And then, um, obviously, Jacob. And then Nate, played by Jay Farrow, is yeah. in the bed right across from hers. And he seems... To be maybe paranoid, maybe delusional, because he's he's always like he's got this phone that he's like whispering into always. Now he goes and he he kind of breaks it down for her when they're out in a courtyard or something, in which he's like, "Let me let me tell you what's happening here and why you're here." Mm-hmm. He doesn't believe that she's actually really crazy. No, he's no. He said you they got you in here because you admitted to being suicidal. Mm-hmm. And you sign that paper. That's all they needed to keep you in here. They're just putting you in here for any reason they can so that they can collect an insurance payout. Some people are in here because they do need to be in here. But a yeah. lot of people get shuffled in and out of here from 24 hours to 7 days just so that they can get uh their insurance money funneled to them. And then they set them off. And that is what happened to you. And he's describing this this thing that's... Absolutely is very real. Absolutely is completely believable in this numbers game. Horseshit medical system that we are in. But at the same time, you think he's just kind of keyed in, like he's got a very paranoid conspiracy mind. And that mind can be right about a lot of things, but like it can go further and further Mm -hmm. into uh, strangeness, even though he doesn't really do that, but you assume that he's just kind of like a paranoid. Well, he, it does seem strange when you first really see him interacting because they're in this like group therapy session and this nurse doesn't give a shit. She's just playing on her phone. Yeah. And he goes, alrighty. And he says her name and he's like, I'll, I'll handle it from here. And he's like going around talking to everybody and he goes over to her and like says something. And he's like, I need to talk to you. And that's like the precursor. So in that moment, he does kind of seem like one of those guys who's like a lifer who's like, Oh, I've been here so long. I know the drill. Let me just take over and be in charge. You know, like pretending yeah. like he has authority where he doesn't. He's and so in, that also kind of led me to believe like he was a little off. He had said that he's in there in recovery from an opioid addiction. Yeah, we find that out later. Which they can keep you, if your insurance will cover it, will keep you in there for up to a month. It's a four-week program. And he's been taking notes and he's been talking on his phone about all kinds of things. She gets his phone at one point after like three days to call her mom because... They do this thing. They have to go and take their medicine like twice a day. There's like the day shift and the night shift. I can't remember which shift, but one of the shifts, there's this man with a beard. Mm-hmm. And she he he's giving out the medication. And he's a new guy. Yeah. And he has this name tag that says George on it. And she walks up to him and she's like, I hope following me all the way here was worth it because you're going to jail. Move out, George Shaw? Is that what you're calling yourself? This man is called David Strine. And he's been following me and calling me and texting me and showing up at my job and breaking into my fucking house. It's It's you. you. 
David. How did you get in here? Your name is David. And she says his full name. And she's this like, George, is my how did you even get that? Like, this man is stalking me. He's been stalking me. I moved from Boston to get away from him. Now he's, like, gotten a job here and is here to get me. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, she's okay. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Definitely crazy. This is George. He's a great employee. He just started. But She's like, freaking the fuck? the fuck out. And she has to be sedated and strapped in. And then all these, like, shots from the beginning start making sense, too. Because you did get these shots that were kind of, like, from across the street. Maybe a little voyeuristic of her, like, outside of her business. You know, walking around in the early parts of the movie. But then you're, it's still, it's like, she's just placing someone else's face on this man like she did earlier. That's the assumption. And then she calls her mother from Nate's phone. And the mother, you know, you might assume that like, oh, the mom's going to be like, oh, honey, you poor, look, you need no, to No, there be- is not one second of doubt in this mother. And I loved that. And- I loved that she could call her and her mother went, I'm coming. The mother, I'm gonna get you the, the mother fuck comes out of down, there. tries to talk her into letting sign him over to her. She even calls the police. They can't do nothing. She contacts she talks the lawyer. To the administration and the administration is like, seven you know, days. This is gonna. It's seven days. And honestly, like, it's the best place. It's the for best her. place for her. And you know, she has a career. And if you do, if you like litigate, like if you actually do call a lawyer, this could be a thing that brings attention and then she could lose her job. Like she's manip, the administration is also manipulating the mother to not dig deeper. So because they know what they're doing is wrong. We don't really know that though until we get a little deeper in. No, and the but mother, it seems like there's something to what his theory is. The mother is in her hotel room and she gets a knock on the door. You can't see through the peephole, but someone's there to check the AC units Says in all the Says they're checking everyone. And she opens the door and it's that orderly, the David guy, the George guy. The guy that she says is her stalker after she for the first time explains that she has a stalker. Then we see that he's there. The movie in that point, because... That scene is separate from her view, her world. We know it's really what he looks like. It's really him. So this movie goes from this, is she or isn't she, to a pure thriller. Because it clarifies that, oh my God, that guy is her stalker. Yeah. And something obviously has now happened to the mother. And the mother, so then, you know, it's a day or two later. The mother's not called Nate's phone back. She has Nate's phone number. She's supposed to call. And, and when the daughter tries to call her, she can't get a hold of her. At one point, she, you know, she and Nate have these conversations in the courtyard. And that's when they get to know each other. And she's even saying to him, like, I'd like to see you when this is over. Yeah, it seems like they're actually starting to like they each really other. They really are. And he even says to her, he's like, you may not feel that way when we do get out of here. Mm-hmm. But if you do, then maybe I'll use your phone sometime. Like, it's very cute. Like, they have, like, a... It's the only time when she seems really normal is when she's talking to him because they're just connecting on this personal level, which you don't get with her with anyone else in this movie, except her mom. And she's got to go and take these meds from her stalker every day. And there is some points in which she really does start to question her own sanity, like... Maybe this is all like in my head. Maybe I'm just seeing something that's not there. That's when she seems the most rational. But we know at this point that this guy really is her stalker. And if he wasn't, the way he acts, even giving her her medicine is creepy. Like every time she comes up, he's like, hi, Sawyer. Yeah. And he gives her her meds and then he goes, I hope you sleep, have a sleep well tonight. Or like at one point he looks at her and he's like, I would just like to apologize again if I did anything that upset you. 
Mm-hmm. Because I'm just here to help. You know, it's very fucked. There's certain filters you that Soderbergh uses throughout this movie. I mean, we know now he shot it on an iPhone, and we'll talk mm-hmm. more about that later. Mm-hmm. But some filter, like he's... We have seen him use, like, when they're in the woods and stuff, it's, like, all blue. There's kind of a beginning We've bit. seen him use shit like that in traffic and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the filters look like something that would just, you could probably get from an app store. But, you know, we see, like, a haze filter where he's showing her mail that he got from her mother's house to freak her out. And we think, at that point, we think it's, like, in her head because of the way the filter is utilized. But, of course, now we know that he really is fucking with her. And he gives her an extra medication at some point. In a pretty cool scene where it's like the the t- w- double exposure or the shutter speed or something where she's looking hyped out. And you can see all the other patients in this other room watching her just... destroy this room and she's like yelling things that make no sense and one thing i did appreciate about this for for as much as i feel like this place there's something going on obviously with putting people in there too often they actually don't punish her because she didn't do anything they figure out that she was given the wrong meds. probably based upon the quantity the inventory of medicine i'm I sure think, they yeah measure they that were rate. like she got this med instead of this one and one of the other nurses who's kind of been there the whole time, the one that like stripped her down at the beginning, is telling George, now we know is really David, that this happened and it can't happen again because we'll all get fired. You know, you have to be careful and you've been such a good employee and you're so good with everyone and we love you so much. Mm-hmm. So like, don't fuck up because we're all going to get in trouble. And he, you know, is, I just can't even imagine. Like, I can't, you know, I would never. Let's get into the, how she met George. We get... Flashbacks of that. Yeah, she tells Nate. She used to work at a hospital or something. um, It was a hospice. A hospice where she would talk to uh, David's father, but David wouldn't talk to his own father. He would just sit and listen. So he would project this relationship based on how she would communicate with his father. She wasn't even really talking to his dad, though, because his dad, you know, had dementia. And so she would just read to his father for like two hours. And David would just sit there and, and watch her. her read to and he, his father. And he created this grandiose connection they in They were going to be mind. in love. And her his father would want them to be together. And it spiraled to the point where she had to leave the city. She had to... And that's when we get the 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 brief Matt Damon scene where he's explaining her the things that she may need to do. Oh yeah, he's written a book. He's like a guy who's written a book about protecting yourself, and he's telling her all these things like don't park here, park here, carry this on you, you know, yeah, just ways like never be alone. And he's got some good advice, but he's ultimately there to sell a book. He's ultimately there to sell a book and sell his services, but he also adds to the paranoia. I mean, she is being stalked. This guy. Is like texting her, text, 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 text. Like, and, well, he's explaining how even if you block someone or make your social media private, that they can go, they can go through the people you're connected through, and, and that's find what they would do. Yeah, totally. You know, so he's like, basically, you gotta shut it all down. You gotta shut down everything. And she does talk at one point about, you know, moving and changing your phone, and that's when she's doing like the original intake with the therapist, who, by the way is the housekeeper from American Fiction. So David um, then, uh, because he sees that Nate and Sawyer Sawyer are, I don't know, I can't remember that name, 
are looking very close. He, he starts watching them. Now, keep in mind, Nate says he is there to recover from an opioid addiction. He abducts Nate. He abducts Nate and beats him up, straps him to a chair, and overdoses him on fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Sawyer has Nate's phone. Yeah. And she gets a picture that shows that Nate is tied to a chair. And she's trying to show the other or- orderlies what's but going on. But they think on. she's just losing it again because she's lost it multiple they times. They don't look at the phone, though, no. which shows Nate tied up. And they end up finding Nate, but he's just an overdose. That's how they view it. I, and they, they it's just something to cover back up because obviously someone got a hold of a bunch of fentanyl. So that looks bad on them, even if it is exactly how they say it are yeah and then he has uh he has this notebook that he's been writing all of his notes in this whole time and you know when he's whispering on the phone he's talking about like i think i have enough to take them down like you should come in which seems makes him seem very paranoid but you you get this notebook and this orderly takes it to the administration and she looks at it and she's like okay it puts it in her desk. Puts it in her desk to hide it. She's like, thank you for bringing this to me. You think you would just destroy it. If it was incriminating, you would think that you would. Well, anyway, so Sawyer, this just makes freak Sawyer out because something has happened to the one person she had a connection with here. Mm-hmm. And she has to be sedated and she wakes up in the isolation room, the, the solitary, solitary confinement the basement. in the basement. And she wakes up and he very quickly comes in. And explains to her that no one knows she's down there. He changed her paperwork for early release. And so everyone thinks that she went home. But isn't someone sitting in a room like where the mo- that monitors what cameras are on or what's well, not? Well, I didn't even say that part yet. He busted the camera so no yeah. one could see them. But I just don't think anyone here cares. There's one point where uh, one of the orderlies gets a call that police are coming. And she's like sleeping on like That's a cot in an no exam room. I feel and like- the reason why police are coming is because Nate was an undercover reporter who had been feeding information because of reports that this place was just uh, forcing people through the process yeah. to get for like an insurance scam, insurance collection scam. The, the Nate suddenly disappearing is now unraveling this whole thing. And so David walks into there with Sawyer and we and we like it's just a thriller at this point and then we get this long monologue between david and them and you know this movie is set up really nicely but it's at this point where i feel like it's starting to kind of clunk towards its conclusion it's too much this long-winded talk care. you're definitely creeped out by the guy but like it it, it is a, like a bit much and then there's another point where he comes back and she's speaking like softly to him and the, trying to manipulate him and it's obvious and he's falling for it and he's such a sucker and she kind of calls out exactly what he is and and at first she's like you know i'm one of those girls that people like you would complain about online the one that's not going to call you back that's going to ghost you that's exactly what i you am. think i'm something that i'm not you made up this fantasy it's not real you would actually not like me but and now, he's like this isn't you but now she's trying to goad him into doing what she wants to get out and she rightfully calls out that he's probably a virgin, right? So he talk, he's resistant, but he wants to do whatever for her. He talk, she talks him into going to get Violet because he needs to lose his virginity before she can be with him. And she says, I need to see it. It needs to be in front of me. I need you to see what you've been missing before you can commit to me. Otherwise, I can never believe that you 
only want to be with me. It's so dumb. It like the way it, it's just. It's not that it's. I don't know how else she would have done it. Yeah. But it's just fucked. Like at this point, I was like, I don't. So, I wasn't into it at this point. So they go get Violet. And Violet... He's drugged her a little He bit. drugged her and he kind of drags her in there. When she realizes she's about to get raped, she starts to freak out. But then Sawyer gets on top of her and calms her down. And is like, I know you've always wanted to just kind of be you with me. You wanted my attention. Yeah. And then they start making out and she's receptive. And yeah. then Sawyer reaches out, grabs that shiv that's under Violet's shirt. Oh, yeah. Violet showed her at the very beginning that she, has, she keeps a shiv in her pants. And as David like leans in to like be involved... She stabs him in the neck, takes his keys, and escapes, but she shuts Violet. I fucking hated this part. She shuts Violet into the room. Like, stab him six more times and escape with Violet. He does the neck snap thing with Violet. And it's like, this guy ain't Steven Seagal. No, he's a fucking pussy. He's David the fucking loser. Like, he should have just wrapped his arms around her and strangled her. That would have been creepy. If he had done that and just been staring at Sawyer on the other side of that little glass door, that would have been... There's something about the neck snap thing that when you randomly see it, like, you get it if fucking Dolph Lundgren is doing it. (laughs) And this guy is a big guy. But this is like some, like, like incel twat, right? And it's just like, just have him, like, suffocate her because anyone can put an arm around someone's throat. So she's running out, and he he had explained how there's a back door that they could go out and that they could escape get from. Get to the woods. And she manages to get out. And while this is all happening, the cops have come in with a warrant, and they've gone. They're going through the facility. They found the Nate's notes and the administrator's desk. So she's fucked. I so love so the part. whole the whole facility is becoming unraveled yeah. as she's escaping. That entire scene in solitary has too many words. But I liked this part because there were, like, actually no words. There's, like, a female cop, and she's reading this notebook, and she looks at the other cop and goes, and they just put the woman in handcuffs and walk yeah, her yeah, away. Yeah. She's hiding behind this shed out back of the facility, and then the, that's when we see David pop out from the other side and club her. Don't know how he got out of the room. I get Maybe he made copies of the key. I don't know. Or maybe he picked the lock with the sh- I guess stalkers or are... maybe she didn't do a good job locking the door. I guess stalkers are pretty good at stalking and maintaining their stalking. I don't know, but it I just seemed know. like... So she wakes up in the trunk of the car. That's where her dead mother is. Um, she finally manages to... Pull the, the latch to open the trunk. Right. Most modern cars have a way to open up the trunk from the inside. Yeah, she as does soon as that. she's in that trunk, I was like, girl, find that fucking latch. And Get she kind of out of there. She kind of injures herself, but she kind of, she's starting to run and she, and he hits her and she falls and you think she's unconscious, but she's got some kind of sharp object. I'm not sure what it is. Did she still, she still have the key? I don't know. I guess she might she have still had the keys she or might she still might have had the, the shiv. shiv. When he's like looming over top of her. She stabs him in the eye, and then he rolls back, and then she slits his throat. I forgot that part, because, yeah, she slits his throat, so he's dead. Yeah, or at least bleeding out. He's already been gouged in the neck. And so it cuts to a year later. Mm -hmm. She's eating with her old office buddy, and they're just kind of joking around at, like, some restaurant. She's being kind of dry still, but you can tell that they're they're at least friendly enough to go to lunch together, and it's mentioned that she's had a promotion. Yeah. and And she's hearing a man... Uh, talking. It sounds like David. It, it kind of looks like him from the back. And, and she gets up and she's walking towards him. With a fucking steak knife. Like she's going to like stick it in his neck. But then the guy turns around and he's like, whoa, what? And then she drops it. Yeah. And then 
she's just kind of shocked. And then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I don't think she's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, it seems like she's just, what appears as craziness is just a trauma response for the 100. crazy shit she's went through. Yeah. Which is now even worse than when we first started. But there was a part of me that was kind of wanting this movie to be like, both she's literally crazy and that ended up being the stalker. Well, Listen, she did already have issues before the David thing. The mom but talks about how crazy. she's not crazy, but she already had some trauma. Like her father died when she was like 15 very suddenly. And the mom does talk about how they haven't had a relationship since then. Like when her father passed away, and I think it was like cardiac arrest or something, but it just came out of nowhere. I think that's when she started putting up those walls, even with her mother, like not telling her. She never told her mom about the stalker until she was in the in the mental institution. Mm. So I think that she definitely had, she had stuff going on that maybe she just needed therapy. And the fuck, the most fucked up part of all this is that when she finally tried to get therapy, this whole thing happened. Yeah. Now listen, he was stalking her because otherwise he wouldn't have gotten that job there. He was following her. She wasn't paranoid. It wasn't delusional paranoia. It was like actual real. She was being stalked paranoia. Yeah, yeah. So I get what you're saying. I do think that some people may have the capacity to handle something like, something like that better than others. But but yeah, I don't think she was actually crazy. I think it's all very fa- justified. But now at this point, if she doesn't know definitively that he's dead, like if she didn't see his dead body or like have someone verify to her that he is dead, she's always going to be looking over her shoulder just kind of wish this movie played up the mystery. I do too. A little bit longer, maybe even closer to the end. Because, you know, you get a little bit over halfway and the mystery isn't there. You understand what's going on based upon how it plays out. Mm -hmm. Even at the point where, like, she's doubting herself, I wanted to doubt that with her. I did too. But when she was doubting herself, we knew the truth. Yeah. We knew. There was something about the way, at least story wise, that that. Kind of, it just, I just wish some things kind of went a little bit differently, a little more subtly, took, stretched out a little bit longer. All they had to do was not actually show his face in the mom's hotel room. He still could have knocked on the door and said, oh, I'm checking the AC. Cut to, I haven't heard from my mom in two days. Yeah, yeah. You know, because then it's like, well, did the mom just or no give scene up with the mom or, at all? Like the mom just disappears. Yeah, mom's like, what's going not, on? Yeah, and and then he has the letter, and it's like, what did you do to my mom? And was the letter real? Yeah, there just could have been a lot more doubt in there. I really, I felt like it was too, it was too heavy handed. So the movie shot on iPhone, and w- there's one other movie we discussed called Tangerine that was shot, a very different kind of movie. Very good. That movie. shot on uh, that shot on iPhone. Soderbergh seems, he's shooting it on camera, but it's not hand cam or anything. Everything is steadied, and obviously he's using other sound equipment and stuff. But the, but the thing that is different about the, the Tangerine movie embraces the technology in a specific way. Whereas I, I feel like Soderbergh is just like doing it to see if he can pull it off. Like it is technically experimental, mm-hmm. but it's not that we haven't done that at this point, but the way Tangerine utilizes technology in which it definitely feels like people are just holding it and stuff and a lot of scenes, it embra- it feels a little more modern in that respect. It feels executed yeah. in a way that's both current and and almost tricking you into thinking that you could make a m- movie like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would still say in comparison in comparing to Unsane and Tangerine, both iPhone shot movies, that 
I would bet it would be easier if you had a little bit of a budget to make a movie like Unsane than it would be Tangerine. Truly. Yeah, I mean Tangerine is a is a work of art. That movie is wonderful and beautiful and crazy. But I did have the thought, you know, if he wanted to play with this medium of shooting on the iPhone, aside from just the fact that he shot on the iPhone and obviously used filters, there could have been cooler things done with that idea, like like in the hospital itself, that could have been more handheld. You know, like there Maybe. could have been this idea of like, we're not supposed to be seeing this right now. I don't know. You could have it, done something with it that made it more obvious. It's if- tricky though, because if you're... If you are doing that, you have a risk of having a visual inconsistency that um, beyond just... It just depends on how you do it. Because if you do too many of just the phone tricks, yeah, then it's it might look a little hokey. It's, it's kind of like he made an iPhone movie, but made it not look like an iPhone movie. Yeah. And, Whereas and Tangerine like, kind of embraced it yeah, in a no, particular absolutely. way. And that's why it's so interesting and so good. And I do... You know, you told me after this was an iPhone movie... There wasn't anything to let me, to lead me to believe that until then. And the only thing that it seems in us talking about it after that it seems to have contributed to is how cheaply this movie was made. Mm -hmm. Like you said, he kind of did it like on the down low, like people didn't know he was making this movie when he was making it. Much easier to do if you have less of a cast and you're not like renting big video cameras and stuff. I don't know how all that works, but I don't know. I just, aside from the cheapness of it and that he wanted to be able to say he did it, Unless his point was to try to do it with an iPhone and make you not think it was an iPhone, I don't really get the point. I think the ultimate flaw, the biggest flaw of the movie itself is just how the story plays out more yeah. than anything. Like, I can't fault the, the acting or anything like that. But we're no, going to. the acting's fine. We're going to review it. You're going to have this one through five. I'm going to give it one through five combined for best out of ten. How much do you give this movie? 2.75. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. So that's a 5.75. We're mainly judging it based on how we feel the concept was executed overall. Yeah. Uh, it did have like kind of a B-movie feel. And uh, Claire Foy was great. But overall, the, I felt like the story, once it went towards the climax, felt a little forced, a little and- clumsy, a little overwrought. The dialogue's a little heavy-handed. And, and I think it's more noticeable in that it was set up so very well. It, yeah, it, the setup was great, and then it just turned. At the very, very end, it felt like we had just finished watching, like, a fucking made-for-TV It did. Stalker it it kind of had that. Yeah. I think that's kind of on purpose, so like, especially Maybe. that in credit, the way that was done. Yeah, that's how it felt. But check the show notes for links to other places to find us. More Women in Crisis all month long. Like, subscribe, leave a comment. What did you think about this movie? What's your favorite Steven Soderbergh movie? Uh, I hope you've never been stalked. Uh, if you have any uh, yeah. crazy stories about that and want to share, you know, you might have connected to this movie or this movie would have been very hard to sit through, I could imagine. But, yeah. But anyway, uh, yes, like, subscribe. We appreciate you. More Women in Crisis all month long, as well as uh, what we got left of the Best Picture nominations that we have yet to discuss. So, come on right back, all right? Watch your back, girl. (laughs) 